Hey, thanks for joining me again for another installment of Christmas in Quarantine, Christmas Past's impromptu miniseries of indeterminate length. I'm bringing you one new episode every day until things start getting back to normal amidst the COVID-19 crisis. It's like an audio advent calendar to spread some much-needed Christmas cheer in these uncertain times. And today, we're going back to the swingin' 60s, when the crooners crooned and the eggnog was always spiked. But first, I hope that you're staying safe and healthy. I hope that you're following all of the common sense guidelines and that you're taking your advice only from trained medical professionals. And second, I'll bet there are people in your life who could use a little Christmas spirit right about now, so why not help them discover this show? All it takes is a quick mention to a friend or a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Both of those are quick and painless ways to show support, and they really do make a big difference. It's like spreading Christmas cheer. And if you do leave a review, I'll send you a Christmas Past sticker and a handwritten Christmas card as my way of saying thanks. You can get in touch with me for details about that or for any other reason. I always love to hear from you. You can reach me at christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com or find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you haven't yet joined the private Christmas Past Facebook group, well, maybe today's the day you will. Now, today's episode is a roundtable discussion about 1968's The Dean Martin Christmas Show. It's a star-studded variety show filled with Christmas music, on-screen smoking, comedy sketches, and some truly head-scratching moments. I get into it all with my good friends Jenna Noor from Welcome to Tinseltown and Todd Killian from Christmas Clatter. Be sure to check out the show notes for a link to the video so that you can watch along with us. I'll be back at the end to wrap up and say goodbye, but for now, please enjoy our review of 1968's The Dean Martin Christmas Show. Okay, so we all watched this uh, special earlier today, and for me, this was maybe like the third or fourth time I've seen this in recent memory. And for all I knew, I, I saw it when I was younger, too. W what's your experience with this, Todd? Have you seen this before? No, I watched it um, just a couple of times uh, this weekend. Um, I, I, knew, I knew it existed, cause, but I've never sit, sat down and watched one. And how about you, Jenna? No, I had never seen it before. This was my first time. I watched it today. But I kind of feel like we were all aware of this kind of thing. Like, no one was mm -hmm. surprised that there was a Dean Martin variety Christmas special. I mean, it would be more surprising if that weren't the case. I agree. <laughs> yes, yes. And so did it, when you watched it, did it meet or, or, or not meet the expectations of what you thought something like this would be like? I mean, I had, like little to no expectation whatsoever of what to expect. I mean, I'm familiar with like the ex-celebrity does Christmas special format because um, I feel like it's it's done less now, but it's still riffed on in like different shows. And like Bill Murray did one of questionable quality on Netflix a couple of years ago. Um, but I found the humor surprisingly modern in some ways. Like I felt like the sketches could be on SNL today. Some of the jokes were like a, a little of their time, but that's kind of what surprised me the most. Yeah. And it's interesting that you mentioned SNL because that's probably the only mainstream show that we still have today that would come anywhere near this kind of thing. We're just yeah. pure variety entertainment where it's just one disconnected skit after another, different kinds, whether it's like a played out skit or a fake news thing or some kind of parody of a game show and then a couple of musical numbers. Nothing like that really exists today. And if it does, and it's not SNL, it's either fall, uh, falls into some kind of pastiche, like when uh, 
Stephen Colbert tried to recreate these old yeah. Christmas specials. Uh, and the same with Bill Murray. There was a bit of a, a wink and a nod going on there, too. But trying to recreate these nowadays doesn't really have the same ring to it, right? It, it almost is either, yeah, like they're trying to recreate something or making fun of something that used to exist in the past because this kind of entertainment is very, very much of its time. And mm-hmm. what I find interesting about all of that is is just why. Uh, so I'm probably the oldest one of the bunch. So I have childhood memories of the 70s and 80s. And so this special that we're about to discuss was from 1968. But that kind of entertainment, variety entertainment, was really, really at its peak in the late 60s and through the 70s and maybe a little bit into the 80s, too. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember that show Solid Gold, but that was kind of part of my childhood. Um where it was a pretty much variety entertainment. There was this guy named Wayland who had a puppet named Madam, who was this kind of pop culture figure from the 80s. And so that kind of thing was really in the zeitgeist. And I kind of feel like maybe the equivalent today would be reality television. It's, it's in the same mold of something that you can really quickly and cheaply throw together. And it's just sort of meant to come and go, not really meant to have much enduring cultural appeal, but just meant to be more like a snapshot in time featuring all of the major entertainers of the day. Yeah, I, I think the, one of the reasons we don't see it nowadays is there's not many uh, entertainers that sing, dance and act and do comedy all at once. It seems like maybe our entertainers are more focused on one thing or the other. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I think maybe the closest thing we've had to a pure iteration of this kind of show was back in 2014 when Jessica Simpson and her husband, Nick, and I I can never pronounce his last name, uh, tried to do one of these. Really? Oh, yeah. And it's on YouTube. (laughs) Maybe maybe we'll have to do that one next. Um, Yeah. But that one really does. There is you can't really tell if they're making fun of this old format or trying to revive it or something. It it doesn't quite hang together. But um, and I think it partly because it was very obviously not filmed in front of a studio audience. The laugh track is very, very obvious uh, in the same way that it is in the Stephen Colbert special. Yeah, they did. They did a a special like a variety show special in this style on glee in one of the early seasons of glee oh interesting um but ag- again it's that and on on glee you had you know whether you're whether you're a fan of that show or were a fan of that show or not like the folks on that show were talented singers and dancers cuz these are people who are coming from broadway and looking to get into into tv so they could have done like a very good earnest execution of this kind of thing but again it was kind of played for comedy a little bit um which after having watched this one with dean martin like what makes them good is that they are earnest is that people like are working hard to pull off a great show so i i I would be in favor of a return of this kind of thing well i think as we go through this uh review of this episode all of the reasons that you can't do that anymore are going to become apparent. And mm-hmm. I think Todd already made an excellent <laughs> point. I mean, this was from a time where your average entertainer was, you know, a singer would also be in the movies and also mm-hmm. have, you know, do like comedy roasts and things like that. And I kind of feel like that was at the tail end of the um, just that that time of in earlier cinema. There's a reason why so many old movies had musical numbers in them. And that's because 
the, the uh, movies kind of replaced the other form of cheap entertainment that came before it, which is vaudeville. So once mm-hmm. vaudeville went away, all these people who had like a juggling act and a magic act and could sing and dance, they just put them in the movies. And then that's why so many movies were like that. And I kind of feel like toward the end of the 60s is when the last of that was just kind of, you know, the Rat Pack with Sammy Davis Jr., who's a multi-instrumentalist, who was an actor, a singer. He could also just do sort of like a stand-up routine, could just stand in front of an audience and just entertain them for an hour. You don't really have that anymore. Or maybe you do in Vegas. I think maybe um, uh, Wayne Newton is maybe a little bit like that. Nowadays, or that style of a Vegas entertainer, Mm -hmm. they'll come out, they'll tell a couple jokes, they'll have a couple guests up, they'll do a little of this, a little of that. Um, There actually was a special not long ago, it's on Netflix maybe, where Steve Martin and, uh, who's the other guy, Martin Short, come out and do this Mm. kind of variety special. Did you guys (laughs) see that by any chance? No, I sure didn't. No, I didn't see that, but maybe I should. It's really entertaining, yeah. But anyway, so let's let's all cast our minds back to 1968. It was a time of, of great technicolor and casual sexism, and it was okay to drink and smoke on television. And you put all of that <laughs> together with some of the great stars of the day, with some musical numbers, and you get a special like this. And it reminds me of some of the other ones that I saw around that time. And I know, uh, Todd, you're a fan of these, the, the old Lawrence Welk shows yes. and uh, the Bing Crosby. There's another one like this where I think it's Dean Martin and the Sinatras. So what about those stands out to you? Did we lose Todd? Hello? Oh, Hi. Yeah, oh I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. That's okay. <laughs> kind of everything went quiet for a second. I'm That's sure the magic of there. editing. No, so um, <laughs> yeah. those um, those kinds of shows, like the Lawrence Welk ones and this one and all that. Like, what about those? Do you think stands out to you, Todd? For me, the music's the music's what really stands out. I just, uh, um, you know, the music with the with the dancing that that just something about all that just kind of gives me the puts me in the Christmas mood, gives me the Christmas feels and, and that's what I, and the, the comedy is fine and it, and it's great, but I just, I just love people watching people sing and perform music. That's, those are the standout moments for me. And Jenna, were you a fan of anything like this when you were growing up with sort of variety entertainment or are there others that were, were special to you? No, we watched a lot of like the kind of Christmas standards. We watched A Christmas Carol and we watched Emma Daughter's Jug Band Christmas because mm. <laughs> we like to cry at Christmas in my family, <laughs> apparently. But I am a big fan of Broadway musicals. We were really into musicals growing up. And I feel like maybe that's why I did like this so much is because it's like you're saying, Todd, it's like these multi-talented people. Mm. And I also love to watch people saying I like the like chills that I get when I hear someone perform a song really well and it's something that I could never do so there is that kind of like escapism aspect to it so yeah I really yeah. really enjoy it yeah well just just thinking back to be off Christmas just a little bit and I think the reason I'm attracted to these Christmas specials like this is growing up in in rural Missouri as a kid every Saturday afternoon uh Hee Haw was on and it was basically this kind of show just country music flair and, you know, with comedy bits in between and then live performances and things. So it was just kind of a part of entertainment growing up. So, you know, as my love for Christmas grew, then my love for this type of variety show grew because it was such a familiar format as well for me. 
Yeah, I think for me, um, it's always hard to recall what you appreciated about something because obviously as time goes on, you pick up new points of appreciation. And so when you look back, you kind of wonder, well, is that what I liked all along or is that what I now realize in retrospect was part of the appeal to it, if that Mm. makes sense? And so I recently watched an old Lawrence Welk Christmas special. And the thing that just popped out for me was that it's wall-to-wall colorful characters and it's this is or colorful costumes and big hairdos and of course it has that very 60s like in living color kind of look and feel to it and and again just the variety of all of the music but there's something else about that and this one and some other ones too which is the there's something for me about the artifice of it all the fact that Mm. You know that you're looking at what's supposed to look like someone's living room, but you know that it's on a stage. And there's something about that. I'm trying to figure out why that appeals to me. But I think it's like when I went to the mall as a child and and just all of a sudden this floor that I've walked on and I know as the floor of a mall suddenly becomes Santa's village. And you know that it's fake, but you're also allowing yourself to buy into the illusion and I don't know, there, there's got to be a German word for whatever that feeling is of just sort of like <laughs> appreciating the artifice, but also allowing yourself to sort of be consumed by it. And when I watch something like this, it's like there's something about the fake snow. There's something about the the obviously cheap sets. You even see in this special uh, when Dom DeLuise comes out and does that thing where he's writing Santa a parking ticket. You know, they, they put together the set right in front of you and then they zoom mm-hmm. in and then you're like, OK, I'm watching someone on a city street. But you saw just moments ago that this was just pushed together by two stagehands. Um, mm-hmm. There's something about that, something like just, you know, sort of seeing how things were put together that I, I just, I don't know, I think it adds something to it. But anyway, yeah, I mean, we... I think it, it speaks to the classic, just like suspension of disbelief that we feel whenever we read anything, right? It's like, you can pick apart the the holes in a, in a story in like a book or in whatever kind of media you're consuming. But if you just let yourself enjoy the experience, um, yeah, it just pays off. <laughs> it just feels so good. So why don't we, as they say, take it from the top with this as we go back to 1968. And the first thing that you hear in that classic 1960s stentorian radio voice is brought to you in living color. And then we just go right on into it. So this first number, it begins with a musical number. And I don't know like if a kid watching this would find it creepy or not, but it is these masked dancing Santas who are just mm-hmm. nightmare fuel. I mean, they're mm-hmm. like Santas mm-hmm. in rubber masks dancing around. Yeah, that's my first note. Santa yeah. masks in opening number equals creepy in all caps. Yep, <laughs> yep. yep. It it's was that, definitely yeah. creepy. <laughs> it it was. That's what I wrote up. Creepy Santas. It kind of reminded me of the uh, Santas from A Christmas Story. And then it also kind of reminded me of the uh, uh, from the Kung Fu movies, the the white hair Kung Fu master with um, that you always see, and it just was absolutely bizarre to to watch mm-hmm. them yeah so they're all dancing around and we get in a couple of other jokes i think dean might be smoking at the beginning of this and they're putting santa makeup on his face mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden we go into the dancing santas and then this was very much a style of the time they'd be singing and then all of a sudden cut away to this weird little vignette right like something mm-hmm. it was like some nagging housewife again this is where that casual sexism comes in the nagging yeah. housewife saying, well, I need a fur coat of all that. And then it would cut back to the um, to the musical number. <laughs> and that reminds me a lot of Laugh-In. I don't know if you guys ever saw that show. No, I never did. Yes. You saw? Yeah, I, will. I used to watch Laugh-In at, uh, on Nick at Night. So. 
Yeah, that's how I think it was on. It was like one of those after school shows. I'd get home and mm-hmm. it would be Brady Bunch back to back and then laugh in because uh, I would have no business watching that as a kid. I don't know how like I wouldn't be up to see it in prime time, <laughs> but it definitely had that feel to it. So they, they start out with, you know, one of those numbers and then oh, and then we get to Dean singing Marshmallow World. And th- by then it's clear to anyone watching that Dean has had a couple drinks before the show started. Oh yeah. (laughs) It was by the time you get to the end of that music number, which I mean, we'll, we'll backtrack and talk about that number because I have some notes on that as well. (laughs) When he's teeing up the sketch with Bob Newhart, he he literally sounds like he's on drunk history. Yes. Like he's (laughs) like, and then we're doing a sketch and it's at the store. Like (laughs) it's barely sensible. I don't know enough. About Dean Martin to know, like W.C. Fields was another one of those characters who was famous for being drunk. But if you've mm-hmm. all, if you've seen any of his old clips, he was a very skilled juggler. And mm-hmm. but again, he was one of these vaudeville guys who got put in the movies. And that was part of his shtick. He would come out and look like he was about to make all these mistakes because his persona was that he was drunk. But then, like, yeah. he'd amaze you with his skill because, you know, you, you would constantly think that he was about to drop something, but then he'd do something amazing. And I didn't know if that was part of Dean's shtick, like that he was just supposed to be the the kind of drunk guy or if, or if it was real. I, I could be convinced either way, but I could really, really buy that he was drunk when the show was being filmed. Me too, a hundred percent. I agree. That was my second note: is Dean drunk? Because <laughs> I feel like this would be. I mean, it's it's funny because they do a sketch in the show about the office Christmas party, but I feel like this would kind of be like the entertainers' Christmas party is when they come together and do this variety show. So I would not be surprised at all if just like two steps off stage, there was a bar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it really does have that feel of a bunch of old friends just like, oh, we were going to get together and do this anyway. Why don't we get a camera and, and um, put it in front of everybody else? Mm-hmm. Because after that first uh, number with the Mask Santas, then it goes in. It's sort of like a continuation of that where he sings Marshmallow World and mm-hmm. then goes into this really classic Bob Newhart style sketch. Yeah. And this... Well, the- the thing on Marsh, the thing, the thing I loved about the Marshmallow World is he sung it live, and it wasn't, um, you know, it just wasn't in the can and him lip singing. He actually sung it live on stage, which is uh, takes a lot of confidence to do as a as an entertainer to to sing that mm-hmm. live and then give the ad libs that he did and and probably had a few drinks in him as well. So that yeah, was, yeah. I was going to say liquid confidence. Yeah. For yes. Sure. yes. <laughs> Because as it's happening, he's complaining that there's not enough snow coming down or just making these little quips like right in between lines mm-hmm. and still singing on key and all while mm-hmm. drunk. Yeah. But yeah, definitely more uh, more casual sexism in that number where like they, there's these two women that are with him. Mm-hmm. And at some points they're like, like, <laughs> if you want to talk about the literal objectification of women, like they're literally just like set pieces for him to kind of fall over mm-hmm. and like like you know kind of grab him when he's falling over so that also <laughs> as if the smoking and drinking on tv wasn't enough that kind of set the tone like a little bit for me but i did have to remember you know it is the 60s this is a production that's very of its time <laughs> mm-hmm. and as we'll soon see it gets worse it, oh, gets, yeah. it gets much worse <laughs> yeah much worse yeah 
So, but then b- before things get really bad, we have uh, what I think is is really an excellent Bob Newhart comedy sketch, which could have been okay. better if Dean could have kept a straight face. <laughs> I kind of liked that he kept breaking character. I thought that was like, again, it kind of contributed to that feel of like, you know, these are just friends who are hanging out and there's a camera here. I, I did like that. And Bob Newhart is just unbelievably funny. He is like, the best. Yes, I love Bob Newhart. Part of me, Dean broke so much, part of me wondered if this was the first time he had heard any of those lines. <laughs> Probably you know, was. Is, and, you know, it was Bob Newhart just, you know, completely in improv mode, you know, yeah. at, certain part, at certain points. But part of what mm. makes Bob Newhart's comedy work is that he is deadpan, complete mm-hmm. straight face throughout the whole thing. And mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, he's supposed to be talking to some harried and helpless store clerk who's trying to help him, but Dean just cannot keep a straight face. I mean, it's kind of like when someone laughs, you, you can't help but laugh along with them. It's almost mm-hmm. like a, a reflex response. But I think it could have been a lot funnier if both of them were just kept in character the whole time. So yeah. the the, uh, the skit for for those who've never seen the special before is a man is trying to return a toupee at a department store that his wife bought him, but he's trying to do it with the utmost of discretion so that nobody else uh, will see or hear what he's talking about. So he's wearing a hat and he's trying to keep his voice low, but he's also trying to describe the predicament he finds himself in to someone who just doesn't understand what's going on. I mean, it's a pretty classic, you know, the two people who just can't understand one another kind of comedy sketch. Yeah, I thought that was when I got the first kind of inkling of like, this would work on SNL, like maybe not a toupee, like just because maybe that's, <laughs> it is very funny. And like, I can't in the moment think of another object that's like funnier than a toupee. But just, yeah, the the, the pure deadpan comedy, um, Dean Martin kind of, he reminded me of like John Mulaney on SNL in that point where he was kind of breaking character and just being really goofy. That was when I first got that inkling of like, of like, oh, this is why sketch comedy works. Cause it is just funny to see people acting out these ridiculous scenarios that like wouldn't necessarily make an entire show or an entire movie, mm-hmm. but just as like a glimpse is so, so funny. Yeah, for sure. And the the breaking, like sometimes it's like salt and pepper, right? Like a little bit is funny sometimes, but then yeah. on yeah. SNL, you get someone like Jimmy Fallon, who was just useless in every sketch yeah. he did. Like he just could <laughs> not deliver a line with a straight face. Yeah, sometimes, that's not fun because yeah. you still want to see the scene played out. Right. There were other, I mean, like Carol Burnett used to do that on her show. There was a lot of like winking at the camera and it was kind of funny mm-hmm. when, um, who's the other guy, Tim something or other, who would always laugh or they'd just be like trying to crack each other up. But you got the sense that, you know, those, they earned that, you know, like like 50 years yeah. in the biz, like you earned the right to do that. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it just looks kind of sloppy, which is the impression I got here. But overall, a very funny sketch. Which, yeah. Which then leads into, um, maybe this is the pattern. It's a sketch and then just some gratuitous sexism uh, because we go into a number by The Gold Diggers. Um, yeah. Oh, man. And, and here, here's some trivia for you. Uh, can, can anyone guess the name of a, a well-known celebrity who was once a member of The Gold Diggers? No. I'm going to take that no, as a... No, I, uh, I don't think I know too many celebrities from that... Era. <laughs> you would be surprised. It was Kathy Lee Gifford. Okay. Oh, yeah. That but, um, makes okay. sense for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> 
But apparently they were on those kinds of shows. And, you know, getting back to the, you know, not only are they dressed in skimpy outfits, but even just the physical posture that you see them in when this whole thing starts. Uh, we don't need, necessarily need to go into it, but it is very, uh, sub, you know, very um, objectifying in the way that, you yeah. know, they're, they're positioned on the stage and the things that they're doing. Uh, and so they go into this medley, which the first song is just a, I forget which number it was, but it was something like Santa Claus is coming to town or something like that. Mm-hmm. But then Dean comes in and they all surround him and then it just gets creepy where they're all like, daddy, buy me this and daddy, buy me Mm -hmm. that or something like that. Just like staring at him adoringly, all trying to like clamor over each other to get close to him. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a shame because like they were very talented. Yeah, they were. Um, They kind of remind me of the Ray Conniff singers, if you're familiar with them. They put out albums during the 60s and uh, yeah, I think mostly the 60s. And it's, it's a very similar style, you know, it's like an all-female chorus and yeah. has that sort of like, you know, Rankin-Bass theme song kind of feel to it. And mm-hmm. yeah, really, just a really nice mm-hmm. aesthetic. But um, again, definitely very cemented in the, the 60s and has kind of a Mad Men feel to it with Dean, like this one dapper guy all glossed up in his tuxedo and just you know, like surrounded by women or like clawing over themselves to compete for his attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was even one of the gold diggers sitting to if you if you as you look on the screen sitting to dean's right hand not the one next to him the one next to her would reach over and she like would take her fingers and like walk up his arm a couple times (laughs) just so he she you know like just so i guess she could touch dean martin for some reason i'm not sure sure. (laughs) i found that i found that a little odd too (laughs) well there were definitely there were definitely a few moments like that being a very good example where I, in my mind, I was thinking, like, who is this for? Like, what time of day is this airing on television? Mm-hmm. Who are they hoping will watch it? And at first, I was like, oh, it must have been, like, on primetime. This must have been something for mom and dad to watch when kids went to bed. And then there were, like, all these kids at the end. So, yeah. I don't know. Maybe this is the late 60s version of Wholesome Family Entertainment. Well, like, gather around and watch creepy uncle Dean Martin <laughs> and I should be drunk. See- uh, the timeline between when this came out and when some of the Lawrence Welk specials came out, because they would follow that exact same format. At the very end would be all of the cast and crew's uh, kids would be on stage and they'd go around and introduce everybody. That was kind of the thing you did in these kinds of shows at those times. Mm. Um, I'm not quite sure which one of those was the first to do it. But yeah. And this was a primetime special. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, the again, like the modern day, if you went to like your office Christmas party, there'd be like Santa who would give every kid a gift. Like it's maybe that that kind of a nod of like yeah. the greatest gift we can give these children is to be on television. <laughs> and then so after all of that, we go into this other sketch, which I would be surprised if it weren't true that Bob Newhart wrote this for Dom DeLuise, because it's that same one side of a conversation kind of sketch mm-hmm. where Dom DeLuise is just standing there talking to nobody. And like, based on what he's saying, he's basically carrying both sides of the conversation uh, where the the scenario is that a police officer is writing a ticket uh, in New York City, presumably where Santa Claus has illegally parked his car. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This was my favorite part of the special. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. just like expertly delivered. Again, we go back to, you know, does does breaking a scene make it like better or worse? This was just like perfectly delivered. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. The timing was perfect. The scenario was like funny and as much as it was formulaic, it was like had some unexpected punchlines. I just thought it was a mm-hmm. like a perfect sketch. Yeah. It was it was excellent. It was really well uh, performed. 
Yeah, and it was just the right length that ended perfectly, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. um, yeah, there was a little reversal toward the end where, you know, you sort of mm-hmm. see him, he's dropping his guard, he gets the nice pen, mm-hmm. and then he just flips it around, lands right on the punchline, and then it ends. Mm-hmm. So it's just absolutely yeah. perfectly constructed. Yeah. And then it, it, Don DeLuise actually shows how talent he is, because when he started to to break a little bit, I, I for a second thought he was going to actual cry, mm-hmm. you know. And then he then he does a, a one eighty real quick, and and it was it was so well done. Yeah, which like again, going back to the comparison with SNL, I find sometimes you get these um, like very talented A list actors who come on to guest host SNL to like hawk whatever movie they have in theaters and. You know, like I'm thinking specifically of like the episode with Daniel Craig when he was doing his like James Bond presser, like mm-hmm. he's horrible on SNL. He does yes. not have the chops to do exactly. that kind of comedy at all. But Deloise just pulls it off. Like it's unbelievably funny. Mm-hmm. The thing is, I yeah. don't know much about him. He's one of those pop culture figures who's just like everyone's aware of him. You'd see him on Hollywood Squares. He'd be in like Cannonball, mm-hmm. whatever those movies were with the Rat Pack. Mm-hmm. He was just one of those guys who was just sort of like around and would do stuff. But um you know, if you were to ask me, you know, I don't know, what are the highlights of Dom DeLuise's career? I, I would have no idea. Like, for all I know, yeah, he neither was would I. also, right. you know, was like had his own sitcom for 10 years. I, I would not know that at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if we go from there to another sketch. It goes right into another Dom DeLuise sketch where now we're back to the sexism and the office Christmas party. Not only that, like there's a lot that's wrong in this sketch. So the setup is that we're in an office Christmas party where... Uh, everyone's partying except one guy who's sitting at his desk and he just needs to get through some work. So his colleagues decide to uh, slip him a drink uh, yeah, and get bad. him drunk. <laughs> right. I mean, this it's already off to a bad start. Like, you know, they're playing it up for yucks that they're going to drug their coworker, uh, you know, just to see what happens. And so he's just repetitively stamping things over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he becomes more and more drunk as everyone's standing behind laughing. And then he just starts stamping like everything he sees. And this is pretty much the sketch. And honestly, I think this one just went on way too long. It's like yeah. there was one mm. joke that they just kept repeating over and over again. Mm. I honestly watched this sketch on like one and a half speed because mm-hmm. <laughs> I was watching it and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, is this going to end? And so <laughs> then I, I remember that YouTube has that like playback speed thing. Mm-hmm. And so when I put it up to one and a half speed, it actually got a little bit better because it felt like it felt like it was kind of a mashup between Mr. Bean and Keystone Cops at that point. Like everyone was moving just a little bit too fast and like you didn't have time to really stop and think about what's actually happening. It's just like as soon as something happens, he's on to like wrecking the next thing in the office. Um, And then Dean Martin came in for some reason and starts dancing with this other woman like. Yeah, that was the like. It's almost like he was watching backstage, and he's like, "Now nah, I'm going to get in on this." Like, I don't, I don't even think that was planned. He just sort of yeah. came in, did a thing, and then left again. And and so for anyone who's not seen this, this is a silent sketch, right? It's just all set to music. No one's talking. We're just watching the action play out as this guy gets drunker and drunker and just starts, you know, just stamping things with impunity. And then all of a sudden, just grabs this woman into his chair yeah. and starts kissing her. Yeah, I yeah. feel sorry. Yeah, I felt sorry for that girl in the green dress because. He grabbed her twice, I think. Yeah, I he went back for more. Yeah, yeah I don't, uh, 
And one time I could have swore maybe he like bit her arm or something. Yes, the re- first time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the first time like he grabs her into the chair. And so she's sort uh-huh. of like like in a cradling, you know, the way you cradle uh-huh. a baby. She's like, that's how he's uh-huh. holding her. And like he bites her arm and then kisses her. And then she stands up and her reaction is just like, oh, you crazy guy. You know? Yeah. And there was no like, there was no like precedent that like they had been like flirting again not that like (laughs) grabbing a woman is okay just because you've like flirted her up a little bit but it was just like she was just another person in the office who like like you got the impression if it had been any woman standing behind him he would have just been like well you're mine now it was the 60s that kind of thing was okay back then (laughs) (laughs) quote unquote okay so then he does it again and then um the the sketch ends in a final act of, of sexual harassment where he takes the stamp and just stamps some other woman's backside with his stamp. And yeah. that's that's what gets the biggest laugh. Like that's when you know, okay, just yeah. the, everything's gone off the rails at this point. It's time to to end this. And there is actually a little reversal at the end, right? You sort of like that's the climax. Things sort of settle down. Uh but then some I don't know if this is a third woman comes out of nowhere and like hangs mistletoe over her head and then they kiss, and that's the end of the sketch. Yeah, which was like, would have been a sweeter ending if you hadn't seen him just like grabbing women throughout the party. Like, I don't know if he if he had just been kind of like boisterous and crazy and she was kind of watching like timidly from the other side of the party. And then finally at the end, when everything's quieted down, she comes in with the mistletoe like that would have been a sweet beat to end on. But instead, you're watching it and you're like. What does she see in him? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if she's feeling sorry for him or, or whatever. But I can just imagine the pitch session for this. Like, all right, I have a great idea for a sketch. Like, these people drug their coworker, and then he starts getting super creepy. Like, all right, that's gold. Let's put that on. This is like a, this would be like a last minute cut for time decision on like an SNL today. Mm-hmm. I feel like, like, I, I, yeah. I feel like the, the office party it's still kind of like rich for comedy, but you have to play it so carefully because it's like, this is work. Like this is where mm-hmm. people go to work. So like, don't be creepy. Oh, you know, I, I realized that um, I skipped over a couple of things. So after the Santa Claus uh, parking ticket sketch, we go into this other sketch that um, again, it's with Dom DeLuise and Dean Martin where they play a couple of, you know, like the, the classic image of the hobo, these guys with baggy clothes oh, with yeah. patches all over them. <laughs> And it lasts just a minute. They're sitting on a bench, and apparently the setup is that these are two, you know, wanderers who perhaps see each other once a year on Christmas Eve, and they're both smoking cigars as they talk. And the joke is that they exchange gifts, and the gifts they exchange are the cigars that each of them is smoking. Like one hands one the other his cigar, and the other does vice versa, and that's it. it I guarantee you that was like, okay, we need a 30-second filler before commercial yeah. kind of thing. Right. Well, and that one, Dean Martin did... Uh, costume change yeah and none of the other like i i assume it was just pieces like added over again this tuxedo that he's wearing but and every other sketch he just appears in his tuxedo like he's working in a shop in a tuxedo he's at this like business casual christmas party in a tuxedo (laughs) so i guess in this one they were like "Mm, we really need to like rough him up a little bit if he's going to be a believable hobo (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that one just kind of comes and goes and then in the very next sketch, we see Dean. This is sort of like the most showbiz thing in the whole show, where Dean's sitting on a grand piano, and the mm. maestro is tinkling out a tune, and he's doing. This is where he's doing the, 
um, he's just being an entertainer, right? He's telling mm-hmm. jokes. He's 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 um, doing maybe a little bit of dancing, just a little bit of, you know, just casting a spell over the audience with his talent and his personality. And the, when the scene opens, he's drinking from a bar, but then it turns out that the bar is this sort of like secret bar that you can flip and it looks like a bookcase. Mm-hmm. And he sits on the on the piano and he starts just doing his thing. And this is another one. It's almost like a non sequitur. Where there's a knock at the door. And Bob Hope comes out for like five seconds and just mm-hmm. says like, oh, hey, it's pretty crowded with all your empty bottles back there. And then he leaves. And, and that, that's it. Yeah, yeah, I thought the one with the hobos on the bench, I, I liked that one. Again, it was really short. It was it, it almost made me wonder if maybe on like another part of the soundstage, they were flipping the set or something. And so yeah. they just needed to take people's attention off off of it. But yeah, the Bob Hope cameo was was weird it's like you have bob hope and that's the material you give him (laughs) yeah it just it just felt like a strange choice and i wonder if um if that was like some kind of contract thing like you can have him but you you know you can only say like one line or or something like that Uh, because yeah he was really underused he does come back at the end of the special we're going to get to that but in a very different context and it wasn't Mm -hmm. actually uh, on stage right it looked like it was recorded earlier yeah. But part part of me wonders if that Bob Hope bit was improv because he made fun of uh, Dean's drinking and said something about loving Dean's uh, red nose and and things like that. And I don't know if I looked too much into it, but Bob Hope almost had this look of disgust about him, you know, <laughs> like he just maybe, can't believe. <laughs> maybe <laughs> like Bob Hope was available at the last minute, right. and they hadn't uh, they hadn't written anything for him or something, and then he, and then he was like, uh, "What can I talk about? Dean's mm, been drinking an awful lot tonight." <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that's, I, that's, I've heard stories of, that Bob Hope was not really well liked by his peers. Um, that he he had like a. I don't know, a bit of a nasty side or a condescending side, but I could be misremembering that. Yeah, he did. Me. He did kind of have that like stern grandfather tone in yeah. this in the in his cameo. Yeah, but he just sort of comes. He says his one line, yep. and and then he goes, and you're just like, uh, oh, okay, there's that. And then and then it goes right into the office Christmas party. And so mm-hmm. when Dean comes into the office Christmas party wearing the tuxedo, it's the tuxedo we just saw him in when he was sitting mm-hmm. on the piano. Hmm. And then um, after that, we're pretty much ready to start wrapping it up. This is when we come on to the I think we go to a commercial break and we come back and we find the stage just has all these kids all over it. And mm-hmm. for the first few minutes, they're just letting the kids be kids. It's, a, it's almost like one of those kids say the darndest thing kind of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it felt like yeah. that kind of setup. Yeah. Where, you know, Dean's just asking them like one kid, mm-hmm. he asks, you know, do you have a favorite singer? And the kid just like starts freaking out <laughs> for no apparent <laughs> reason. I have that in my notes, too. The kids yeah. are mortified by Dean the, Martin. <laughs> that, 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 that blonde headed boy that was laughing is I, I looked at uh, doing research. That's Peter DeLuise. That's Don DeLuise's son. <laughs> is that P- Peter DeLuise from he was 21 Jump Street? Yes. That was yes, Johnny Depp's a... partner on 21 Jump Street. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And here's some more trivia. And uh, the opening shot, the little girl sitting on someone's lap mm-hmm. is Melissa Gilbert from Little House on the Prairie. Yes, yes. It, she's also on that uh, scene. She's the one that um, uh, corrects. Um, oh yeah. Uh, Denny Weaver about which is which uh, which instrument to play first. Oh yeah. So. So then, okay. So Danny Weaver comes out, and I don't really know who Danny Weaver is, but he seems like he belonged there. 
and comes out and just does one of those, okay, we're just going to sing a song with the kids, and each of them gets like a kazoo and a drum or a harmonica, and at certain points in the song, they just make a bunch of racket. It's chaos. <laughs> like, by that point, I was like, oh, they've lost the plot on this one, <laughs> like... Which I'm sure they like they played it for that comedy. They were like, there's no way this is going to be executed well, having all these children with <laughs> with just different noisy instruments. But, yeah, I, I saw it coming a mile away that that um, that that music number was going to be a bit of a train wreck. I'm surprised they kept it as well together as as they did. Um yeah, and like I said, that really is part of, you'll see that in those old Lawrence Welk specials. And it gets a little weird when Lawrence Welk, because they literally just go around the room. And it's like, okay, who are, you know, introduce yourself and introduce us to your kids. And it's just like 15 minutes of that. But <laughs> I kind of feel like that's a that's time-honored tradition. There was a Mariah Carey special that came out on Netflix a couple of years ago. It's a concert special. She just does a concert. And at the end, she does that. Like all the cast and crew bring their their kids up on stage. And I think they do like a kid song, like Rudolph or something like that. And so it's still around today. It's something you can see from time to time. Yeah. And I mean, I guess they do that in like the, the like credits of Pixar movies, you know, here are all the kids that were born during the production. Oh, so yeah. it, it's got to be some kind of like time honored tradition in showbiz to like thank your kids and somehow like, I don't know, put them on display. Yeah. And then with everyone still on stage, they do what should have been the final number of the show, where they, they do a song mm-hmm. medley. It ends with Silent Night. Yep. It's all, all is calm and bright. It sort of gives you these feels, fade to black, go to commercial, presumably. And it really could have ended there, but it doesn't. Agreed. Mm-hmm. I was so shocked. I was like watching the time bar go on the bottom yes. of the YouTube video. <laughs> and I was like, how is there still so much time left? Like, what note are they going to possibly end on this not Silent Night? And so remember at the beginning of the conversation, I said there's one, one or two things that really would prevent something like this from ever being aired today. And this is it. This is yes. 10 straight minutes worth of this next se- segment. It was roughly mm-hmm. like equal to like, I, I don't know, if you look at the whole thing was 48 minutes of runtime. So it's like mm-hmm. a quarter of the show, almost maybe a little bit less, where they announced that this show raises money to donate to children's hospitals. And so they announced that in 1968, that year, they were donating $100,000, which I looked it up is the equivalent of $743,000 today. And then what plays out is almost like one of those snow day announcements. Do you guys remember those where you'd like listen on the radio or on Mm -hmm. TV and like wait to hear your school to see if you weren't going to go in because of snow? It's Mm -hmm. like that where one celebrity after another mentions some hospital somewhere that's going to benefit from these donations. Yeah. And a lot of the celebrities like I I did, I recognized more than I thought Mm. I would. Some of them just seemed like local like news anchors or like game show hosts or something. But they're like speaking directly to the kids, a lot of the people. Mm -hmm. And again, it goes back to like, do you think all these children are like sitting around in the children's hospital like, oh, I hope they name our hospital. (laughs) Like, yeah, it seemed it seemed strange. (laughs) And it's and again, long, so long, very long. But it Mm -hmm. is this revolving cast of of really high profile people. George Burns is in it. Jimmy Stewart, Johnny Carson, Bob Hope, Tony Bennett, um, Andy. Lucille Ball was at the end. Yeah. Lucille Ball. Yeah. Um, Who else? And just it's all on IMDb. Uh, Was Twiggy in there somewhere? Yes. I believe that. was Red Skelton. Um, Lynn Campbell was in there. Uh, Raymond Burr. Yeah, Raymond Burr. Uh, 
Joey Bishop was in there. Jack Benny. Um, it was tons of people. It was yeah. like Tennessee Ernie Ford was one of them. Oh yeah, and uh, the guy mm. the guy who played Gomer Pyle, I forget his real name. Jim Jim Neighbors. Yeah, Jim, Jim Neighbors. Mm-hmm. And so. Oh, and, and Andy Griffin. Yeah, and then oh, Michael Landon. Remember, he's in wearing a cowboy hat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, today it would be like it would be like the Avengers would be there, like in costume or whatever. Yeah. They'd be yeah. like, "Hey, St. Jude's, we're coming to you." Like, you yeah. know what I mean? That's that's what it felt yeah. like it would be. Yeah. In, but so like, this is this is the part that was really painful, is because it's just one celebrity after another, and they each have like what seems like five seconds to just name some hospital. But you can't just say that like over and over again. Okay, this hospital, that hospital. They have to kind of say the same thing in a different way. So each one of them mm. will come up like, hey, you kids at like the St. Jude's Center, tell Rudolph to keep the lights on because blah, blah, blah. And then it would go over to Bob Hope and he'd be like, well, I hope Santa Claus doesn't miss out on the this house in like Mexico or something like that. And it's just eight straight minutes of this. Uh, and there weren't even like, a, like they weren't trying to inject any comedy into it or entertainment. It was just they cut from one scene to another. And again, all of these must have been filmed elsewhere, right? You'd see people in yeah, front of different curtains. Yeah, that's that's what kind of like, like you got the idea that they were like, okay, it's like the end of a long day of filming on like X show or X movie. They're like, oh, can you just read this line for the yeah. camera? Like, yes. yeah. Yeah, Michael Landon was still in costume from Bonanza and, and the the other two main characters from Bonanza as well. It's like they just pulled them to the side. And I was and... wondering about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, Johnny Carson does it right in front of his what it, what it looks like from the stage of his um, of his theater. Mm-hmm. And Bob yeah, the, like marquee too. lights in the back and everything. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so and so then that's it. Right. Oh, they, they start with a song. They sing Christmas is for children. And then that leads into this announcement. And then it's just like eight to ten minutes of this. And then they end. And so, again, it's sort of like this anti-climax where they come and they do a medley, which I believe ends on We Wish You a Merry Christmas mm-hmm. and Fade to Black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, another note that I had here before it goes into like the revolving door of cameos, they're doing like that slow pan of all the toys. And there are so many Smokey the Bear toys. Oh, yeah. And like, I, I don't know if, was that like a popular toy? Like, I, I was kind of looking for like the hot toy of 1968, you know, looking for like toys that I recognize, but it was just a ton of like, Creepy dolls, which makes sense for the time. And then so many Smokey the Bear toys. I'm guessing that was a donation from, what is that, like the Wildlife Foundation that did Smokey right. the Bear? Or like the National Park Service or something, yeah. yeah. It's probably popular in California. Probably. Isn't yeah. there, um, you guys have uh, <laughs> Smacky the Frog in Canada, right? <laughs> what? Isn't there Smacky the Frog? There's a Smacky the Frog who is the equivalent of Smokey the Bear. I don't know if it's Canada or England, but yeah, that's the thing. Oh my gosh, I need to look this up. <laughs> It's Mackie the Frog. Yeah. He is in England. Oh, England. Okay. Yes. We have Smokey the Bear here, too. I remember those uh, growing up. Those were, um, you know, we'd see those those little PSAs from the Better Business Bureau and the National Wildlife Association and things like that. And it would just be like, only you can prevent forest fires. But I'm surprised that there was a commercially available product because who would be profiting off of that? It seems like, like a government agency would be behind that. But they must have licensed yeah. the image to some toy maker. Yeah, which I think helps with the theory that maybe it was a donation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because what were the, the toys from 1960, late 1960s? would have been like Easy Bake Oven was a big one. Um, wasn't Oh, the Pet Rock was maybe in the 70s. I'll have to look up what the top toys from the late 60s were. 
Yeah, it was just a lot of like generic kind of looking toys, like big old like spinning tops, and again the like dolls with like the dead eyes and <laughs> yeah. yeah, one of the one of whom got a close up at one point. Yeah, I, you know, he's kind of look you know for a Barbie doll in there or or a GI Joe or something like that, but. I wonder if they had all... to be careful about showing branded products. Maybe that was that was behind yeah. it. Oh, so anyway, they're it, just yeah. showing all this bounty and then talking about all the kids who are going to get it. They sing a song and they say goodnight. And that is the 1968 Dean Martin. What was the official title? The Dean Martin Christmas Show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it yes. seems like that was just one of many things he did because his comedy roasts were on primetime a lot. Uh, he was just one of those guys that they're like on Saturday, they just put on an hour's worth of Dean Martin doing something. And right. I guess this was just the the one that they put on around Christmas yeah. time. Yeah, he did mention in the in this special that he had a Thanksgiving special, like the month before. Or so, oh, wow. yeah, yeah, I'm definitely he, gonna go watch more of these because yeah. they are so good. Yeah, I'm definitely in the show notes, everybody. I'll have a link to this on the YouTube um, where you can find it on YouTube and also some of those Lawrence Welk ones. I'd love to do one of those someday. And Mm -hmm. if anyone listening would like to come on and review it with me, but by all means, drop me a line uh, because this is just something that is frozen in time. I don't think we could have one of these today. I think whenever we try, it's like, oh, we'll put Michael Buble in something like this. And it Mm -hmm. just it doesn't work. Um, Yeah, I think for a lot of reasons. we, Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say that, like, on NBC now, they've been doing those, like, live musicals for a few years. Mm. And they haven't done one, like, explicitly Christmassy that I know of. But they're always plagued with technical difficulties. And a lot of them don't have a live audience. And then the ones that do have a live audience, the audiences are, like, mic'd poorly or don't react when they're supposed to. Like, it, it feels like like TV has kind of moved away, which is interesting because theoretically we have like better technology to put on these more like complex um, specials. Mm. But th- like the NBC ones are just like, they have not been successful at all. Yeah. Well, and it also they're, just they're, reeks of gimmick. Like, you know that they're yeah. doing that because like, you know, you're going to watch it because it's live and streaming it later wouldn't have the same feel to it. But mm-hmm. yeah, I kind of feel like, that, too, is just something very much of the moment now. We do live stuff not because it's a throwback to another time or something like that, but it's like that's kind of the, you know, the idea of appointment television. There really aren't too many opportunities for that anymore, whereas something like this where it's just it's full of mistakes, it's full of just all kinds of like weird stuff that doesn't necessarily seem like it goes together. That was just really common back then. It was almost like watching yeah. a vaudeville show where just you'd have a magician, you'd have a dancer, you'd have a juggler, you'd have a comedian, you'd have someone come out and like read the Gettysburg Address, which was actually a thing they did in vaudeville back then. Um, and like that was just, <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> that was just the kind of thing that you would see. And I feel like yeah. that's just gone. It, you just the only way to experience it or at least to feel what it would be like to experience it back in those days is to watch something from back in those days. Hey, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed that, and maybe it inspired you to go check out that special and other ones like it. If you have any suggestions for things you'd like to hear me review, please drop me a line. I'd be happy to consider it. Again, we're releasing one new episode every single day for the foreseeable future, so I'll see you again tomorrow. Until then, let me remind you that Christmas Past is produced in sunny San Mateo, California by yours truly, Brian Earle. And until we meet again, stay safe and healthy, Look out for one another, and may your days be merry and bright.